Hey everybody, this is Things with Words that you're listening to, uh, a podcast that takes pop culture very seriously. I am Leon Sinai and with me is... Yoni Zabo. And uh, today's main event is going to be Hellboy and the BPRD. We're talking about the comics, not the movie, though we will have a few mentions about that as well. But before we dive into that, some of our yays or nays from the past month. So... Um, the first thing that uh, even if we would like to ignore we could not is obviously Avengers Endgame um, so uh, Yoni this is a big uh, film event that everybody's been waiting for been having to build up to it for like how many? over a decade? yeah I think it's been 10 or 11 years in the making mm-hmm. um, this is the culmination of everything um, that Disney Marvel has done in the cinema this is the 22nd 23rd I film I, I think, think it's the 22nd Oh, maybe the 23rd. Um, this movie has had quite the, the mission uh, hmm. out of it. It needed to work as an end to end phase three and both phases that came before it. Mm-hmm. And it needed to act as a sequel to the highly successful, uh, critically acclaimed and fan acclaimed uh, Infinity War, mm-hmm. Avengers Infinity War. And I think that it delivers. Yes. So. We, we will not spoil anything about it for you, obviously, because everything about this movie is a spoiler. I mean, even talking about the cast or, um, you know, special characters that come back or do not come back will be to spoil it. So we won't say anything about that. Yeah, what we will say is that it's a very good movie, mm-hmm. a lot of fun. It's three hours long. And so, one minute. And one minute. So make sure you pee before you go in. Right before, because in most film theaters, there are going to be no breaks. And uh, that's a definite yay uh, mm-hmm. in my book. Yeah, in my books as well. And if I understand correctly, the Russo brothers that directed it are saying they're not going to do any more cinematic Marvel Universe movies, right? Yeah, they, um, yeah, they uh, think they tweeted it, that mm-hmm. this is their goodbye to the MCU. And uh, I think... That's one hell of an epic that's goodbye. That's one hell of an epic goodbye. Yeah, it's a very fond farewell. If yeah, for sure. That. You know, leaving on top. Uh, it's a yay for me as well. I need to always say that some, for some reasons, I'm not as uh, emotionally attached to the Marvel uh, um, cinematic, cinematic universe. universe. Thank you, as as I maybe should be, but I nonetheless I enjoyed it a lot. And for a three-hour movie, it does not feel as long. It feels, I mean, it feels long. I mean, you can feel the length, but it's it's okay. And I enjoyed, I think, eight, maybe 80% of it. If I would like to go and nitpick, I've got a lot to nitpick about it, but we won't do it right now. So all in all, I mean, they've, they've completed their mission. I mean, they managed to close characters' arcs and to tell a story and to be, like, quite the tearjerker. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 movie's got, the movie has some very good emotional beats. It's got mm-hmm. some comedy beats. I don't think it's as funny as Infinity War, and I don't think it needs to be. No, it, sh- it even shouldn't be. I mean, it's, it would have been weird if it would have been, like, mostly funny, though they have some kind of surprising stuff that they did there with the comic parts. Yeah, and uh, the action is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's that the, the last act is... Yeah. The last act is worth the price of admittance. Like if you're waiting for this, it's gonna be worth the wait. That's I think, and that's what we all we can say about it without you know, without giving anything away. And uh, now for another thing that has been building up for a while. <laughs> yeah, um, 
Mortal Kombat 11, 11 has been released this week, and I was lucky enough to get it as a birthday gift from Happy two birthday. good friends. Yeah, uh, I've only managed. I've only had time to play the the story mode. Uh, it's about five or six hours, and I had a lot of fun. I mean, the game looks fantastic. It looks like they did some um, work on the pacing of the game. Well, which the, is the fights themselves the fights the, themse- the, the way the fights themselves are are built it feels like there's there's a lot more strategy uh, in, involved than in a regular fighting game so it's not just randomly pushing buttons like I sometimes do and hoping to win it, it could be but <laughs> um, but I think the people that are like seriously into fighting games like this or Street Fighter or Tekken I think they'll enjoy this game. I think they'll see a lot into it. I, I don't think I have the ability to appreciate this game fully because I myself am not big into these kind of games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see what they did there and, and, and it's enjoyable. I do look forward to spending some more time with it. So um, that's a yay. How does it compare to Injustice and Injustice 2? Um, well, it's made, it's made by the same studios, by NetherRealms. Um... I think, again, I think the main difference is where the pacing is built. Mm -hmm. There's something cool that they incorporated in the new game. If, like in the Injustice games or classic Mortal Kombat games, you've got that big move, that Mm -hmm. double trigger epic move that takes down like a third of your uh, opponent's health. The the spectacle. Yeah, yeah, like the special move. So in uh, Mortal Kombat 11, you can only trigger that when you've lost two-thirds of your health bar. You have to lose some. And you, can some. Only, and you can only use it once. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a Hail Mary kind of move. So you can't, you know, you can't like take damage and then spam that move. You really have to be strategic when using it. And you need to be strategic in goading your opponent into using the move. And, you know, if you try and you miss, then that's it. And so there is... It's kind of a smarter fighting game. So Mortal Kombat just became smarter. Yeah, and but but you know, <laughs> but it still has all the blood, gore, violence that we finish him. Finish him that we've come to to expect from a, a Mortal Kombat game. All right. So that's a yay. Yay, and uh, another thing that's um, if we were talking about Endgame before, so there's another franchise under Disney. Uh, you may have heard about it, Star Wars. And, Star uh, Wars? What's that? <laughs> you know, that thing that you usually play at home when we have nothing better to do. Oh, that thing that's on my t-shirt yeah, the, right now. The, that t-shirt that you're wearing, he's wearing a New Hope t-shirt, obviously, because some things never get old. No, seriously, I mean, I love this franchise, and if I was talking about being a bit disconnected emotionally from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I do not know if it's like that with me and Star Wars, because I've been watching it ever since I was a little kid on repeat but I'm totally in always I mean ever since uh, we've got uh, The Force Awakens and we've got like the the elements of uh, fun and emotional back <laughs> um, I'm, I'm all in and now we've got this new it's a teaser trailer right? yeah yeah for the, for the episode episode nine, 9 which is gonna be the closing episode for the third trilogy that is going to close the arc that started back uh, 40 years ago. Yeah, I mean, this is... Yeah, episode 9 uh, is supposed to be the final chapter of the Skywalker saga. 
Oh it's God. a nine-film saga starting, well, the first movie was uh, A New, New Hope, Hope, which was later branded Chapter 4, A New Hope, when the pre- after the prequels came mm-hmm. out. We're not going to discuss the prequels. We're but, to discuss the prequels. But yeah, but this is the end of uh, a saga that started in 1977, I think. I think. None of us were born there then. Yeah, we were born in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, the name of the new movie is going to be The Rise of Skywalker. And there's been a lot of uh, turmoil and about the name because it doesn't sit well when you try and say it. Yeah, yeah. People don't like the name. I don't like the name. I, I, think, it, I think once we see the movie, we might be able to have like an ah uh, moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand now. But, right, but before watching the film, where we are at this time... Uh, the, the name doesn't really um, light the imagination. It doesn't grab yeah. you. Especially after the last movie by... Um, I forgot the name of the director. Oh my God, uh, wait. Um, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. So after Ryan Johnson uh, took all this time and all these, this challenge to talk about how the name is not important anymore and legacy is not important and let the past die, yada, 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 and make us and made Ray into this big heroine who is not of the Skywalker legacy. Not that, to our knowledge. Yeah, as far as we know, but obvious, I mean, I think, I hope. Uh, yeah, not. I hope she's not. I hope small. they're not gonna, that J.J. Abrams is not gonna, you know. Turn her this. into Luke's secret daughter yeah. or Kylo's twin or, or God knows what. Uh, so I mean, suddenly calling the last movie "Rise of Sky- the Rise of Sky," I, mean, I can't say it. The Rise of Skywalker. It seems like why are we dwelling into this again? Yeah. On Empire, the podcast, they had a nice theory that maybe it's gonna be like a part and not a name anymore. I mean, it's Skywalker is gonna be like the new type of Jedi's, and it's just something that you can become. That that, that was my theory. I, I came up with that theory on another <laughs> podcast that we record in Hebrew. Oh, so maybe... Hmm. Like, you're not going to have Jedi and Sith anymore. You're going to have, have Skywalkers. Skywalkers and Wrens. Skywalkers maybe, and Vaders. Maybe and Knights of Wren. Who knows? But... <coughs> we need to talk about the teaser also itself. It's, also, it's just to get back to the name, it's kind of confusing that the name is The Rise of Skywalker because, spoilers, <laughs> Luke Skywalker dies in the previous film. Um, but then we know that like nothing he might, never he, dies because yeah. we have the voice, the laugh, the laughter of Palpatine in the teaser. Yes, yeah, so. which also divided audience already. I mean, because people are thinking, okay, is this is like a good thing, or is this gonna be like the main villain now after we haven't heard and haven't seen him for ages and we're all over him? I mean, why? Yeah, it, it's funny. Like a lot of the criticism that the first film, uh, The Force Awakens, got was that it was too much like A New Hope. Then, it was an homage. Then the second film went too far the other way with breaking expectations. And, and it now, was perfect, but everybody, but people hated it for some reason. And now with this movie and the Palpatine laugh, people are afraid that it's going to be a retread of uh, Jedi. Again. So, so, it's people like, so it's like people are afraid again. So people are always afraid that it's going to be... When, when it's too similar, people are upset. When it's too different, people are upset. There's like, just... It's like it's there's like, no pleasing anybody like when it comes to Star Wars. the fans are saying, give me something new. <clears throat> but I want it to be exactly... Yeah, you know, but... Like, but like, I, I want it to be familiar, but don't let me realize that it's familiar. And like, Ugh. 
So yeah, well, anyway, I am super looking forward for the movie. I think we didn't see anything that can tell us, you know, anything about the, the plot in this teaser. Um, we did see Ray, you know, panting a lot and like jumping in front of a, what kind of a ship was that? It was a TIE interceptor, mm-hmm. I think, uh, and it was not Kylo Ren's. Oh, it wasn't? No, it was not Kylo Ren's mm-hmm. ship. Kylo Ren has a different ship. Um, and we saw Kylo running around being very angry. Yeah, and we, an, yeah, we might have seen we might have seen him attack an out of Ren. We're not exactly sure. There's stormtroopers with jetpacks. Yeah, and, and there's and we a, have the the rebuilding, the remodeling of the helmet with some yeah, the red refor- yeah, the reforging it. of Kylo Ren's helmet, which is interesting when it, in contrast to the previous film. Where yeah. the helmet was broken, and it's all about uh, forget the past. But here he's rebuilding the the mask. Uh, speaking of the past, we get to see a part of the Death Star. Yeah, but like a, broken, so hopefully that's not gonna be. I yeah. so hope they're not gonna have another. I don't know what's gonna be a Death Galaxy. I, this I don't time. think. I don't think we're gonna get a super weapon in this one. But I hope not. and also just one thing. Um, speaking, we were talking about Ray. And whether or not she might be a Skywalker or not, I think she's not going to be a Skywalker. And I think the reason she's not going to be a Skywalker is because if this is the end of the Skywalker saga, you're not going to be able to have her in the next trilogy in future films. But if she's not a Skywalker, Then then you can continue her story. And I think they've already spoken about the fact that some of these characters are going to be Really? In future films, oh yeah, which which would make sense. I mean, you've got this franchise, you've got these characters that, that are that are, that are so so popular built. and so well loved by now, in Ray and Poe and Finn. Mm-hmm. You're gonna want to do another trilogy, just with these characters. Actually, this is really reassuring what you just said. If it's gonna happen, because I really loved um, the Last Jedi, and I know that Ryan Johnson is gonna do the the, the new trilogy. And the one thing that I was struggling with is that, yeah, I got super attached to these characters because I think they were, they built them really well. And I actually feel like, you know, like I know them and I would, it would be hard to say goodbye because unlike Marvel, I didn't spend 10 years with these guys. I just only had them to see them in two movies. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how this ends. And uh, hopefully, yeah, it will be like a big closure that will lead us to the new Star Wars phase. Can we say that? Yeah, yeah, I guess we all can. All right, all right. The new saga, the new arc, the new mythology of Star Wars. And from Star Wars to Star Trek. Yes. The second season of Discovery just ended. And um, I watched it. I enjoyed it very much. I think they did a lot of very smart things about it, uh, with it. Um, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but I think they did something in the last episode, which was very, very, very smart. Hmm. And it gives them a lot of freedom going into the third season, which we've already, I think it's already been confirmed that there is yes, going to be a third season. Be, they're not getting canceled. No, no, already. they're not getting canceled. Okay. There's, okay, there's going to be a third season. And so I'm really looking forward to the third season to see what they do and where they go from where they've just, uh, where they ended it. 
And I know some people don't like it very much because it's too different and too heavy toned in, uh, in, relay and in, in comparison to the older series of Star Trek. So well, where, where, do you, where do you place that? Well, it's very it's interesting. First of all, it's very different to every other Star Trek that we've had. Uh, and in this uh, iteration, this series doesn't focus around a crew or a captain. The hero, um, Michael Burnham, played by Sonique Martin-Green, um, is a crew member. And she is the distinct hero. The story is her story. And it's an ongoing story, which is something that is, is very different to Star Wars. We were used to, uh, to Star Trek. We were used to Star Trek being very episodic. Episodic and very ensemble-like. Yeah, you know, each character gets their own episode. Sure, um... Picard would get most episodes or more episodes than anybody else, and but, and, but but you know, but Riker would get an episode, Data yeah. would get an episode, and here the focus is very much on the one character and it's his story. Everybody else take you know, are like the secondary characters, mm-hmm. and also the tone is very is very different to the utopic tone of. Um, the original Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation, even Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. being a darker show, it still had that aspiration of, of idealism mm-hmm. and the Federation being something like utopia. Yeah, like celebrating the human spirit and some kind of... Um... Yeah, and the way I see it, the way I place Discovery is Discovery is a prequel. It takes place 10 years before the original mm-hmm. Star Trek. So we ha- it's just that we haven't reached it, that point yet. They're at war, right? The, yeah, first season is, is war, so the Klingon war. So it's not going to be that uh, utopian vision um, of, of a perfect future that we're used to. It's not going to be... Damn, I forgot his name. Um, the, 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 the guy that... Um, not the guy that did the... Yeah, I don't remember the name right now, but you know, the guy who invented Star Trek and everything is his vision. Yeah, so so it's not his vision yet. I can't believe yeah. I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, anyway. It happens to the best of us. It does, it does. But it's like, um, it's the chaos that, that and the storm that comes before. Exactly. That, that utopian thing that can that's going to be delivered from this mess, yes. right? Exactly. exactly. So that's a yay. That is definitely a yeah, uh, strong recommendation for me. Watch the second series of uh, Star Trek Discovery. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the third season. And if we're talking about things that are coming to ends... Um, now we're talking... Gene Roddenberry. There. <laughs> yeah, that's it came back. Name. The moment we moved on, <laughs> it came back. Gene Roddenberry. Thank you. It's like if you need something, you have to let it go and then... And then it comes back. Yeah. It comes back. Yeah. That's what love is. Yeah. Love. And you love Star Trek Discovery. I love Star Trek Discovery. Right. I love Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> so, and on another note, um, so like I was saying, this is a comic uh, series that I love and is coming to an end soon. I think we only have three single issues left before it's ending. It's called uh, The Wicked and the Divine, and it's by uh, Jamie McKelvey and... Kieran Gillen. Yep. And With the uh, colors by... Matt uh, Wilson, who has been just nominated for Eisner. Yeah. On his work on that, and we said Paper Girls. Paper and Girls, and uh, I think Thor, yeah, and Runaways. And, yeah, and Runaways, and, and maybe a couple of other things. He's a very busy colorist. And he's, yeah, he's very good. 
And he's very good because the, the art of this comic book series wouldn't be the same without him. I mean, it's so vivid and it's so, well, it's funny to say, but it's so colorful. <laughs> I mean, and the, the colors are so, you know, bright. I mean, when I think about it, it's like turquoise and pink and, and purple, but like, like almost neon-y. And that's, um, that's one of the things that I love about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's very poppy, I think. Yeah. The coloring is very poppy and that's very fitting to the series because the series is about... Pop culture um, gods, actually, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, Kieran and McKelvey were working on another series before that. I mean, they've been collaborating for a while. I mean, it's probably over a decade now, right? Yeah. Yeah, they've been working together for a while on all kinds of series. And one of their, the first things that they did and that was kind of long running was Phonogram. And Phonogram was about being, and it's something that uh, Karen Gillan said, is about being a fan of music. And it also had some kind of uh, fantasy elements to it, but it was mostly, you know, something that you can read and you can see yourself as, as that person who loves, you know, Manic Street Preachers and um, all kind of other pop, British pop music and all this stuff and being very influenced by that. And now, um, with Wicked and Divine, what they were trying to do is talk about the perspective of being the one that everybody idolizes. And they did it with mixing some kind of a weird mythology that I think that they invented that um, encapsulates mythological gods. So they say, okay, every 90 years, gods from the mythology come to our world and they are reincarnated in the bodies of young people that were normal people by that by the minutes they reincarnate as these gods these gods are super talented and they are become instant pop, pop stars they sing they have gigs they they get albums out and everything they do press tours and they have two years to be these uh, hated loved and idolized characters and then they die now this is not a spoiler this is the premise of the comic and it follows this event of um, so I mean they were started as almost twelve gods, right? Yeah, the, the, they start as a pantheon of twelve gods. Uh, and, yeah, and in this iteration, they're all like music stars, pop stars. Mm -hmm. Ninety years ago, they might have been um, literary. Yeah, I think I think there was like uh, in this mythology, it's established that Mary Shelley was a god. Yeah, like. So 180 so, years ago yeah or, it's like they, they do show us glimpses from time to time with like these specials that shows what it's been like like hundreds of years ago and then there's all sorts of intrigues and relationships and stuff funny stuff heavy stuff death stuff and it for me it was a very very uh, exceptional ride because I know some of their work from before but this is my first time as a comic book reader which I've been doing for like about a decade I'm relatively new <laughs> to the medium and it's the first time I've been following uh, a series by their monthly single issues releases and not waiting for you know the trade to come out or not just taking something that's been already written and done and being able to binge it all so I actually been waiting every month to get the single issue read it and then wait yeah it's a uh... It's quite an experience to read a comic on a monthly basis. Challenging. It is, it is. That's why I don't do it as much anymore, <laughs> but sometimes it's fun. Uh, I think it's really interesting to see with the series how much um, Kieran has developed as a writer and yeah. Jane has developed as a penciler. I think he's one of the, the best pencilers working in the 
right now in the, in the field. I agree. I mean, some of the stuff that these two guys are allowing themselves to do in this series, I mean... I mean, the balls on these yeah, two. The, I mean, the, the pretension. I mean, these guys can get away with things that nobody else can. Um, and it's like justified narratively. I mean, if they would like to put, you know, like blank, blank uh, panels... They will do it and it will work. <laughs> and, and, and you look at it and you'll find it as art and not as being pretentious. And I think they are the only ones who can, you know, and can get away with it, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's been a very emotional ride and I'm very excited and a bit scared to finish it. Uh, and I don't want to talk about it too much because I can go on forever. So we're probably going to do a special main event about it when the series ends. Um, but it, that's, it's a definitely yay. Um, I mean, I'm sad that it's ending, but I'm also very, very happy because then I'm going to be able to read it all from start to finish. And they're also already currently working on other projects. I think uh, Jamie may be supposed to be sometime developing his own solo project. Yeah, and, and Kieran just started a new series called uh, Die, uh, as in uh, a game die, dice. Um, and the, the concept is... It sounds a bit like um, um, Stephen King's It. Mm-hmm. It's about kids who role play and something happens to them as kids and then it comes back to haunt them as adults. And as the series goes, we learn about the thing that haunted them as kids and it, it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Well, it's got something like five issues out, right? Yeah, five issues have been released and... Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that to yeah, that yeah. Uh, series. So at least I know I have something the minute that Wicked and Divine finishes. And um, from a series that is close to its end to a series that has ended. Just ended. Just ended this week. Um, Mike Minola has started uh, the first issue of Hellboy. Came out 25 years ago. And this week saw the final issue of BPRD, um, which is the end of the, an arc of a story that started with the first Hellboy comic 25 years ago. So it's uh, not every day that a series that has been going on for this long and has been the vision of a singular artist uh, comes to an end. It's quite the event. And uh, I've been reading Hellboy comics for, I guess, about 15 years now. I've read them all. I've read them more than once. I've actually started reading them recently again um, while following the Hellboy Book Club podcast, hmm. which is a, a very recommended podcast. It's by three guys who read the comics, talk about them. Then the following episode, they'll read... Um, um, listener feedback, discuss about that, move on to the next comic. It, it's just very well done. It's a lot of fun to listen to. It kind of feels like you're sitting with a bunch of friends and just mm-hmm. talking over a beer about comics that you like. It's like a recap, but better. And they also bring all this, you know, uh, information and all these small, you know, yeah, like about the mythology and all these. Like the best thing about it is they'll have the, they'll go and like Google all the references that I'll always. Tell myself, oh, I should Google this. Oh, I wonder if this name is real. Or I wonder about this event in history. Is it real or made up? And they'll do that. And so it kind of enhances the, the experience. Mm-hmm. 
feels a bit like you're reading it with the narration. Yeah, with, with the narration and with like people who've done like their homework properly. Yeah, so highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And um, for people who don't know what Hellboy is, <laughs> Hellboy is a comic book series, as I said, um, created by Mike Minola. It's about Hellboy, who's a demon that was summoned from hell during the Second World War mm-hmm. by uh, Gregorius Putin with the aid of the Nazis in order to help the Nazis win the war. Um, but something went wrong and he was found by the Allies and he was taken in by a British professor who raised him in the States. And he grew up to be the world's um, leading paranormal investigator expert in the BPRD right and, yeah working out of the BPRD which is the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense the series started uh, around him and then at some point he leaves the BPRD and the BPRD spins off and from there it's like an epic tale of destiny and um, prophecy and gods and, and, gods and monsters and self-discovery and humor and sacrifice and just everything. Yeah, it's everything. like it's sort of horror because it's got lots of gore in it, and they deal with horrible things and monsters and evil and overcoming evil and evil from within and evil from without. But it's also dramatic and and super into the human spirit. I think if I can, I don't know if I'm exaggerating or not, but it has this all these um, relationships between the the recurring characters that are very touching and very moving and very real inside this sci-fi slash fantasy comic yeah and also while keeping it very human the the scope of the series is something that's unparalleled i can't think of another self-contained um series or something that was created by it's always mike's vision mike Mm -hmm. vision he brought in a few people to help him with that Mm -hmm. and just the scope of the thing the amount of spin-offs. You've got stories taking place during World War Two. You've got stories taking place uh, in Victorian England. You've got just the scope of the thing is. And it's around the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah and a bit in space. <laughs> and a bit in space. It's just the, the 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 sheer scope of the thing is. It might seem even a bit daunting to somebody who's looking to start it now, but uh, I think it's definitely worth it. No, no, it's worth it. And as someone who started reading it only a couple of years ago, um, it's very easy to follow through because, I mean, it's not exactly one one plot line all the way, but it's very easy to go to go and and find the story developing from one trade to another. I mean, the, the it's okay not to remember all the details, but the main things, you know, they, they make sure you understand them. Right? It's not trying to trip you or anything. It's not something that was made in order for you to, I don't know, buy 10,000 other single issues just so you can understand what's going on. It's not what they're doing there. I mean, it's no, very it, clear that there is this very big epic and very wide vision, but it is being condensed into these, sing- to these single issues and trades to tell you the big story and just little stories that are easy. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't have to read everything in order to follow the story. Nope. But and it does feel like whenever... A spin-off comes out when there's a story that's a bit more disconnected. It's not there in order to sell. It's in there in order to tell a story that they feel should be told. That should be told and it usually has something to contribute to the bigger picture. And speaking of picture, 
obviously this is our main event today and there is also a movie out and we will talk about it at short at the end <laughs> but uh, we wanted to focus on the comic because well it's so much better yeah then it's filmed and its latest film adaptation by Neil Marshall so um, the first thing we want to talk about is our favorite characters and oh this is gonna be spoiler free this time because as as much as we can I mean we do we are gonna talk a bit about some plot details and some character development points but we're not gonna spoil this for you because we would like you to be able to enjoy this comic at its fullest so we're gonna keep it relatively clean and so favorite characters mine oh wait i think we should talk about yours first oh we should talk about mine first okay so um my character is surprisingly enough not the character of hellboy the titular hero of uh, the story but of abe sapien um people who haven't read the comic uh, and might have seen um guillermo del toro's movie will know abe sapien as the fish man yep uh, who kind of looks like um, the guy from um, Shape of Water. Yeah. It's the same guy, right? I mean... <laughs> it's the same actor. It's the same, yeah. It's it's Doug Jones, who also who's plays, also in Discovery. Yeah, uh, who also plays kind of a fishman in Discovery. Yeah, it's not exactly a fishman, but yeah. <laughs> he plays, looks like a fishman. He kind of looks like a fishman. Yeah, yeah. But his first depiction of a fishman was Ape Sapien in the Guillermo del Toro movies of the Hellboy universe. Yeah, and I think... Um, the reason I like Ape Sapien so much is he kind of starts off kind of like Hellboy's sidekick mm-hmm. in like the first few issues, but then as the the series goes on, I think he might be the character that over the arc of the story changes the most. He gets his own spin-off at, the, at some I, point. I mean, yeah, at some point, yeah, he takes he takes like he gets his own series. At some point, he takes like more leading role. Uh, in the BPRD, and he goes through phases of his character. He learns things about himself, and they affect the way he behaves. And he he's just such a fluid character. But like every time he changes, it feels very earned, and it feels very um, believable. It feels so human for exactly. a character that looks like an amphibian that walks on two legs. Exactly. I think he's just the most human feeling character, yeah. and I've. I think it's very easy to to sympathize with him. Uh, whereas Hellboy, I think he's very much he starts the series very much who he is, mm-hmm. and he spends most of the series, kind of the entire series, just reaffirming yeah, defend, who he is, defending his identity exactly. rather than rebuilding it. Or... Exactly, Hellboy's story is a lot about people telling him what he should be, and him asserting that he's not that. He is something else. Whereas... And, and so Hellboy doesn't change a lot yeah. over the story. And I feel like Abe does. Yeah. Abe grows as a character. And I feel like he's probably the most rounded character. I think you're right. I think everything... I mean, everything that Hellboy learns about himself is either he accepts it or he denies it. I mean, he looks at it and, uh, and he's a very straightforward dude. I mean, he knows what he wants to be. He knows what he doesn't want to be. He may be conflicted with himself at times, but he will always say, okay, does this serve who I, who I w- wish to be? Does it? Okay, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it. It doesn't, I'm going to reject it altogether and curse and like fall a lot on the way. Uh, Hellboy falls down a lot, though he's very, very strong. It's kind of cute. And, uh, and Abe, 
everything he discovers about himself may shatter him and then be used to to rebuild his own identity i mean he develops so much and then he goes backwards and then he go he goes forward i mean he he contemplates who he is so much yeah and i think and, and he's think, super flawed like yeah. most of the characters by the way everybody in here is in in here right in hellboy and the bprd are super flawed and sometimes they can be even really irritating i mean yoni saw me at times you know closing a The, one of the books and being like oh my god I cannot believe he did that I hate that I mean you get you can get very very emotional because they feel like you said so real yeah and I think on a more personal uh, level to myself I kind of sympathize with Abe's story because I used to feel very very comfortable being kind of the sidekick you know at work or in like my social life um worlds mm-hmm. you know I'd always be I wouldn't be like the you know the leader of the gang and or you know I'd always be the second in command mm-hmm. or like at work I wouldn't be the manager but I'd be the guy that if the manager is gone mm-hmm. will do you know will take his you know who will fill the position and recently in like the last couple of years I've grown into like a leadership position at work uh, a managerial position. You know stepping up and I feel like that I so I really feel uh, with a with a about that and also I think that like we all go through these stupid awkward phases that <laughs> yeah. are like bad for us like you know like an emo phase all of a sudden yeah. or you know we'll grow our hair too long we'll try to look at That doesn't work for us wear really weird shirts with yeah so much sleeves yeah we'll, we'll you know we'll have like a stupid phase and at some point Abe kind of has a stupid phase like that yes he does we're not gonna get too much into yeah. that we won't explain why or when or how it happens but he does but he does and it's like it just makes him so human because yeah. we, we all do that we all have our stupid phases yeah. so that's why I love Abe Sapien yeah Well, I love Abe too, but the character that I chose is also not Hellboy. Look, I love Hellboy, okay? But he is so straightforward that, you know, it's almost too easy to like him the most. So I chose another dude. His name is Ben Daimio. Now, there's not a lot I can say about Ben without, you know, getting into major spoilers. But what I love about him, he's like this uh, very fierce and very... Uh, he's very gruff. Yeah, a commander, and he's been through a lot, and he comes into the BPRD, into the characters that we know as the new character. Like, it's not... It's not in the middle of the series, but it's like, just like after you've read a couple of, of trades, I and mean, it's probably been like in real time, it's been after a couple of years, yeah. right? So he's suddenly like this new guy in the neighborhood. Everybody's like formed and has been through a lot, and they're all friends, and they've... been hurt a while and they've achieved some things and they've lost some things and they are not necessarily happy to get this new annoying dude that comes from like military uh, background telling them what to do yeah I mean the BPRD until the point he joins are kind of like a familial unit yeah. and he comes in To, to shake things up a bit yeah they, and they're, like, they're kind of resentful yeah like the man the higher management g- gets him in to you know to manage things to make sure everything ticks and he's like this guy who works like in army operations and he wants to do his best he tries to do his best but he usually comes off as a bit too tough as a bit too um, distant and it takes him a while to get along with all these special individuals but he As 
we start to realize who he is, together with the other characters that we already know and love. And as we get a little bit more into his story and get to know him, and like all these kinds of things around him start to unravel, you find out that he's one of the most interesting characters in the bunch to me. And I got so attached. I mean, he's got, and then he gets, he gets all these like small relationships and like, uh, um, you know, moments of kindred with all the other characters, which you, which hated each other at the beginning. And it's like all this, he goes through all this kind of character development and suddenly you see these other sides of him and you learn to accept him as one of the gang and as a very, very important member of it. And that's all I'm allowed to say because saying anything else would spoil it for you. So one more thing that I would like to say about Ben Damio, which also kind of brings us to the next thing that we would like to talk about, which is our favorite scene, or single issue in this manner, is that um, him and a lot of the other characters in Hellboy and the BPRD are always trying to, to keep their humanity safe when they have all these challenges around them. I mean, all these characters, like Hellboy is being told that he's something and it's in his name, he's from hell, but he's living on Earth and likes human beings, you know. And Abe doesn't, doesn't know who he is. And uh, Kate, um, that we haven't talked about too much, has got, you know, literal fire in her. And uh, it's Kate, or am I no, missing the name? No, it's not Kate, Liz. I think I'm Liz. Liz, I'm sorry. But Kate has her own issues with being, you know, this uh, woman who was supposed to be, you know, this scholarship and sitting behind the desk and now she's out in the field and she doesn't know what she thinks about that. And Liz is a fire starter and it goes on and on and on. And each character has her own, his or hers own ch challenges about understanding who you are and how you, how you find your peace with your flaws that sometimes can be like really, really scary because we are dealing with fantasy and all kinds of weird elements. And that, and my favorite scene or, you know, single issue is the one that deals with the Wendigo Daryl. And it's something that stands alone and talks about this creature that they're going and trying to find. And I think it's uh, the beginning, it's Hellboy and Ape going after him, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, Hellboy and Abe, and Abe go looking for the Wendigo. Yeah, because this guy disappeared and they're going to investigate and I think they find the body and they understand that something ate it. And then they see this creature, a Wendigo, that looks kind of like, well, it's like a Yeti or like Yeah, a, yeah it kind of looks like a Sasquatch. Yeah. Like and, a white Sasquatch. Yeah, and it's like creepy and it's got blood all over it and it looks like a monster. And then they look at it and you see a monster. And in the next panel, they look at it again and you know they take out their guns or something and you see a monster. And then the monster do does something like grr, 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 and then it says hi. And then Hellboy looks at it, it says hi. And then I think they know its name. And then they just say hi, Daryl. And they understand that there's something human inside this so called monster. Because and then there's this entire story that they understand and unravels about how this Wendigo became Daryl the Wendigo and what happened to the person he was before the Wendigo got him. And it's something that's got with you know, connected to spirits that get uh, bind into the Wendigo once he eats you. And it's really sad, but what's really interesting about it is that this thing that the moment before you saw as something that you should fear and run away from or probably shoot has other elements in it that you did not know of. And it's got so much compassion in it. And it's one of the things that I love 
about the entire series. I mean, it's like this, this notion that you've got all these elements in you, monstrous elements and compassionate elements, and you have to keep on fighting to find the right balance between them and stay human. What's your favorite scene? Well, I think I would like to talk about uh, an, a story, a Hellboy story called The Corpse. I think it was released um, on one of the free comic book days or a Dark Horse Presents uh, collection or something. And I think the, the reason I want to talk about this story is I feel like this one story kind of encapsulates everything that Hellboy is. It's a story, it's a very human story. Hellboy goes on this quest to try and uh, retrieve a, a baby that was kidnapped by fairies. And he's sent on this errand to help uh, bury a guy who's the titular corpse from the title of the corpse. It's, um, it's Minola's take on a, an Irish folktale. Mm-hmm. And it just has everything in it. It's got the humanity. It's got the horror. It's got the folklore. It's, it's got, got the humor, right? It's I mean, got I the humor. It's a funny story. It's a very funny story. The art is phenomenal. It's done by Mike Minola himself. And um, I think, you know, if anybody would ask me, okay, I'm, into, I'm, I'm interested in trying to read Hellboy. What should I read first? I think before you start reading the the first trade or the first original issue to come out, read The Corpse. And if you enjoy that issue, you're going to love Hellboy. Because it's a standalone. Yeah. Relatively, yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's, yeah, the story stands by itself. And it's just such a good story. Um, and I think it's a very good introduction to the way Minola writes. Mm-hmm. Um, and more importantly, it's an introduction to the way he does his art. Which is very different to to regular comic book art. Which brings us to our next uh, theme, which is the stuff that we find, you know, the most, the biggest wins, or the things that we love the most in general, like the most favorite elements of the comics, and the one that you like the most, I think, is the art. So yeah, we can absolutely. elaborate a bit more about it. Absolutely, um, Mike Manola's art is very atypical to to comic book art he started working for dc comics and he never managed to get a really big um commission working for dc because his art wasn't um comicsy enough it wasn't superhero enough there's something about his lines which are always a bit crooked no shoulders uh, no shoulders <laughs> he's just he's not very good at um, you know, he, the only comic book, the only superhero that he was able to do well is Batman. And that's mainly because Batman is kind of a silhouette. He uses a lot of negative space, a lot of black in his art. Um, the lines are thin and broken. It's kind of, it's less figurative and it's more expressive art. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to see the way his art develops over his run on Hellboy and the way when he starts like the first issue the first story he kind of tries to still stay in the realm of the superhero and as he progresses is it a bit a bit more anatomically realistic yeah you know yeah and you know the muscles are more rounded uh, he's got very broad shoulders and just the way as the, the the story progresses 
just you know lines disappear and that to me becomes less um, literal and more suggestive mm-hmm. and it's just so different um, to the the regular what's normally done um, also there's something that he does with pacing which nobody I haven't seen anybody else do and he'll between the the, pan, the comic panels of the story every now and then he'll place like a frame with architecture or an animal or, or some sort of or landscape some sort of like figurative element and the re- and it's kind of there as like a pause or a break or just something to add to the atmosphere it's, it's like not... an atmospheric shot in a movie that doesn't add anything to the exactly. narrative exactly it doesn't add anything to the narrative it just kind of slows down the reading mm. the way that he can control the pace that you read the comic you know because a comic is very easy to read very very quickly yeah but then he'll give you like this like beat it's like a breather exactly that will slow you down for a second and then you keep on and it's just something that I don't see I haven't seen anybody else do and it's just something that's very interesting and I think another very cool thing that is done in the what's known as the Manolaverse mm-hmm. which is what people call um, the Hellboy BPRD and all those comics Apesapien all, Ape Sapien, Ape Sapien, BPRD, all the comics 1940s Exactly, all the comics that take place in that one universe. Um, they're always, it feels like they're always very choosy about the artists that they work with. Even when it's not Mike Minola, it'll always be somebody who feels like they're a perfect fit yeah. for that story. Um, I think a good example is um, when Mike Minola wanted to do a story which is like in a bigger scope, kind of like has a... I don't know, Lord of the Rings feels to it, like an epic battle. He knew that he wasn't going to be, he's not the man to draw that story because he's better in like smaller atmospheric stories. So he brought in an artist called Duncan Fugredo who just did a phenomenal job. And we've just had so many constantly good, different artists working in the Manolaverse that it's always a pleasure. Some of them came on and became you regulars and even created characters, right? I mean, he just he was able to you know so-called let go in a way. yeah, he was able to let go um both with the art and with the writing duties. He's collaborated with a lot of fantastic artists uh, like Guy Davis, uh, like um John Alcudi. John Alcudi on writing um, and always it feels like it's there to serve his vision and uh So I think that's definitely like one of the high points, the, the art and the, the craft. And like him remaining like this, uh, you know, director or like this super, you know, guy who oversees like that the art is, it, 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 st- it remains his vision, but he, you know, lets other people come in and, you know, and add some of their flavor and their artistic traits. And the other side of that is about, and that's what, one of the things that I really enjoy is uh, the way he encapsulates folklore. And when I say folklore, it's like all these kinds of weird and uh, different myths and legends, and some of them are also literature stories from all over. And he somehow, somehow manages to, to combine them all together 
and still make it feel like it's part of the same world, part of the same storytelling. And it also remains very, very... Um, um, I don't know if it's true to the source, but it seems like it. Like, he's very, very respectful to the source material. It never seems like he's having a laugh or, you know, just borrowing things to make his story more interesting. It seems so, so relevant and so accurate that it just sits there and everything fits together like this huge tapestry. And you have stuff from Russian folklore, like like literally the Baba Yaga is there. And you have some elements from Lovecraft stories, sci-fi stories, which has like some very, very strong core elements into Hellboy's story from the get-go. And you've got some... Um, British um, legends like you know even even King Arthur and his knights and you've got stuff from Mayan culture and Greek mythos you've got everything in there almost and, yeah, and, and, and I think one of the cool things about it is he's very he's always very honest with these uh, influences and yeah. these references if uh, at some point he wanted to create a kind of a Conan the Barbarian type of character so he called him Howards, which is a homage to Robert E. Howard, the person who wrote Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. So he's always very honest and very giving mm-hmm. um, when it comes to all these influences. Yeah, I mean, you can always, you know, read the small prefaces about uh, that he writes before the trades, and then he'll tell you, here I thought about doing something about this because I read this folklore tale from somewhere and I wanted to to add it because we needed something. And, you know, yeah, he never shies away from it. I mean, and... Yeah, like, he doesn't pretend to have invented no. anything? No. It's like he knows, you know, you can only be as original as your influences are. I mean, he, he totally, you know, he totally admits it. And it's part of what makes it beautiful. And surprisingly enough, like I said, with this epic, really big, long, layered story, doesn't confuse I mean, it actually all works together, which is like, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be able to take Lovecraftian monsters and Irish folklore and, and occult, Slavic folklore... Occult Nazis. And occult Nazis. And just to work it all together to make it feel like it works in one cohesive universe. Yeah, it's all part of the same world. And, and, and somehow it works. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it shouldn't work. No. I mean, I know it sounds like a mess, but it's not. But it does. Look, but also, you know, a fish man and a demon from hell and, like, a weird commander and a fire starter shouldn't be working together. And they seem like the most organic, you know, group ever. Like, you totally believe them to be, like, really good friends. So, so yeah, I mean, this is, it's super exceptional. But then still, there's always stuff that we would may want to change. So, if we were to play God and change stuff... Me, basically, would love to hear more about Ben Daimyo's story. Like I said, I'm, I'm a bit uh, one-track-minded in this, in this podcast today because I loved this character so much and I felt like I could get some more of him. Uh, and I wish they would give me some more. And I haven't read the entire, the entire thing yet. I mean, I have length to go. I think I what I've been like to have for like two thirds of the entire of the entire uh, Minolaverse comics, but I I feel like there's something missing with this character. I mean, as much as it is developed and done things and things happened, 
I could I could have got, gotten some more Bendaimyo and I would be satisfied. Yeah, well, who knows? You might get that in the future. And uh, if there's one thing that I would change... Yes. Is I feel like the, the Monoloverse is a very... It is a very diverse universe. You've got characters of color. You've got uh, women in... Uh, positions of power mm -hmm. but somehow we still haven't had one of these characters star in a series now i know that that might sound kind of funny when you know um the demon guy has a series and the fish guy has a series but somehow and the, the fact that and the lobster guy which is not really a lobster guy but no, he's not, yeah, this guy but, from the 40s but the fact, series. yeah, but like the other people who have series are, you know, a white guy and a white guy and a white guy. And somehow, like, um, Liz, who's a very important character mm -hmm. and she's been around from the first issue, she never got her own series. And she's super interesting. And she's, she's amazing. And so we've never had a, a series set in the Hellboy universe starring a woman or starring... A person of color, and we do have these, these and characters. The, and these characters do exist in the world, and they're fantastic characters. And I would just love to have more series focusing on these characters, and you know, seeing how they view the universe and getting to know them a bit better. Which is also relating to our next and last uh, subject, which is well, you know, we don't have a lot of cringy things about Hellboy and the BPRD because it's such a big yay for both of us. But we had to, you know, try, um, because a format is a format. So the thing that kind of cringes me out is that they do not have any female writers in Hellboy and the BPRD ever. And like we said, this is something that's been going on for 25 years now. And they do have a, female, a woman who's an editor, if I remember correctly. But there was never an artist or a writer who's a woman to be collaborating on this one. And... That's sad, because like like Yoni said, there are great female characters, and they are written like, you know, fully round, normal characters. They're not there just to be, you know, eye candy, or uh, or these kind of love interests, or victims. No, they're, they're, they have their own, their own stories, and their own arcs, and they're amazing, so and why not do that with the collaborations on the comic itself? Yeah, I mean, not only that, but there are some great, fantastic, phenomenal women working in comics. So yeah, I mean, the, the series is like super totally ending, but I guess we're going to have, you know, some kind of spin-offs, you know, some new spin-offs maybe coming out later. So maybe then we'll see some women writers, I don't know, I, yeah, or artists. Yeah, I, hope, I mean, hopefully, hope, I mean, I hope. yeah, I mean, the fact that the last issue of uh, Hellboy and the B of BPRD came out doesn't mean that we're not going to get any more Hellboy comics. There's a Hellboy series called Hellboy and the BPRD, which is kind of like a prequel series. Mm -hmm. um, they're currently telling stories set in 1956, I think. So, so we've got a lot of decades to fill. Yeah, so I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of gaps to fill, and there's a lot of other interesting characters that might get their own miniseries here and there. So I'm really hoping to see some uh, women get series like that, like these. And um, I want to see them written and uh, drawn mm -hmm. by women. And your cringe 
kind of moment, which wasn't exactly a moment, it was rather long. Well, we promised we will talk a bit about the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the movie. Yeah. Um, so, um, the Hellboy movie came out uh, this month. And um, I can't say that I had a lot of expectations towards it. Yeah. Uh, just from the trailers. Um, now, I love um, Hellboy. Yeah, like I said before, I've read the comics many times before. I've been following the series for about 15 years now, I think. Um, for Purim, which is kind of like the Jewish equivalent to Halloween. Mm-hmm. I even dressed up as a BPRD agent. Yep, yep. So nobody can blame me of being a hater. I went into this movie really hoping to love it. I think we both like super lowered our expectations. We super lowered our expectations just from the trailers because it felt to me like from the trailers I felt like they were trying to do too much mm-hmm. in too little time and unfortunately uh, my ill premonition came true. Yep. Um, the Hellboy movie is not a good movie. That's not to say that I did not find it enjoyable. At times. At, at times. times. It has some fun moments in it. The but action sequences the action were se- really good. Yeah, but overall the, the pacing was off. The characterization was off. Yeah, the CG wasn't... Nah. It was kind of cringy at moments. Um, the after uh, credit scenes were good. Yeah. Th- those I liked. Yeah, they were really good. Um... But overall, not a good movie. It's David uh, Harbour doing Hellboy, and he was he was okay. I mean, he was very different from the Roald Perlman uh, depiction, but but he I think he was fine. I mean, the acting wasn't bad, but it's like I don't know the, the act- script was problematic. Exactly, I don't I don't I don't think the acting was bad. I just think the characters weren't written well enough. Yeah, it's like they didn't give them enough to work with. I mean, Mila Jovovich is playing the Blood Queen, which is a very very fierce villain in the comics and she was reduced to this woman who needs a big strong man and it wasn't she started really interesting but then it was like so it was just oversimplified everything was oversimplified i think and super you know detailed with too many too many plots in the same one all together too many things happening in one movie and so much exposition just to keep the audience following the semblance of a plot, which yeah. is paper thin. And, um, yeah. Uh, and also there was kind of a bit of a downer around the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, before the movie came out, um, John Arcudi, who is probably the second most influential person um, story-wise to work in the Hellboy universe. He's uh, the guy that got the reins to write BPRD from Mike Minola, and he wrote the series for years. Um, he was responsible for the creation of um, Ben Daimyo. Ben Daimyo. Which no one talked about before. Yes. Uh, at some point, he tweeted something about... Um, he asked people to stop tagging him um, about the movie, in relation to the movie, because he said that he has nothing to be... Happy about... Yeah, he has nothing to celebrate in relation to this film. Yeah, and then I think Guy Davis was the artist who created Ben Daimio, 
who was in the movie, uh, Ben Daimyo. The no, character. Yeah, not, not guy name. Uh, also said something to the same effect. Um, now, I think, I do remember them getting a credit. Nope. No, they didn't. They didn't get a credit I, at the end of the film. I don't. I remember looking, but I didn't see. I mean, if you look, if you go to the IMDb movie page, you do not see them credited as writers. You only see the screenwriter, which is uh, Andrew uh, Cosby. Cosby, Andrew Cosby, and you see Mike Mignola, who's the creator of the comics, but you do not see their names. Not in the IMDb, and I do not realize we were looking for their names on the credit roll, and I didn't see it then. And yeah, so that that is kind of upsetting. Yeah. That, you know, this world that had so many strong and important collaborators in it. And it's a creator's own and comic. It, and I mean, it's a creator's thing, own right? comic, yeah. So somebody like Mike Minola, it's not DC, it's not Marvel, it's a person, it's Mike Minola. And for some reason he decided to take full credit for other people's work or, you know, work that was done in collaboration yeah. with other people and not give them the credit mm-hmm. that kind of soured um that kind of soured me towards the movie yeah and a bit towards the the Manolaverse. um but still it's just such a, a good comic that you know yeah I, I'd, I'd still strongly recommend it. and and we don't know what really happened i mean maybe they did reach out to them and wanted but they just didn't like i don't know the idea of this other film adaptation so they were they you know refused to be part of it and maybe but then didn't got credit we do not know what happened exactly because yeah. i don't remember mike manola talking about it the only guy who not only that but uh, John Arcudi said in his original post that he was planning on writing that he would elaborate longer. something. Yeah, he would write a longer post elaborating, and he never did. Yeah, that never happened. That so, never happened. So we don't really know yeah. what happened. M- maybe they paid them off. Maybe it's okay now, but they're just I don't know, not very happy about it. The only guy who talked about it, like in public, was uh, De- David Harbour, who was like portraying the character that he's doing in Stranger Things, being like the good guy. So he just tweeted that you know, you guys, John Arcudi, you're so amazing. Nobody can take that credit from you or something like that, which is lovely, but that doesn't you know yeah. pay the rent. And so I don't know what happened there, but the comic is so amazing. That, you know, if you saw the films, no matter the Guillermo del Toro ones or this new one by uh, Neil Marshall, and you liked them or didn't like them, you know, just go and grab the corpse and then dive into a world of wonder. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, if you were wondering, Hellboy is a big yay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yay! And uh, this is also a wrap on this episode. So uh, you can always find us in uh, on iTunes and any other uh, podcast application, and you can follow us on Twitter at uh, uh, it's Sinliron because it's my own Twitter that became the podcast Twitter, and uh, you know feel free to tell us what you think, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.